A lot of love in the house today, a lot of joy in the house today, a lot of healing in the house today, and we welcome everyone who's joining us today as we celebrate Father's Day in the USA, and you know, you probably recognize some of those guys because those are us. This is our stories. Those are our families, and so we're so happy to welcome you, making your connection with us. Maybe you're joining us from some other state or some other nation around the world, but we welcome you and ask God's blessing to connect with you in favor today, giving thanks for the influence of our fathers. You know, the Ten Commandments. Paul quotes one of the Ten Commandments in the book of Ephesians. He says that the first one that came with promise is honor your fathers and your mothers that it may go well with you all your days. That's pretty cool that there's a commandment that's written in there so that it may go well with you when you align with him. And so we thank God today that God chooses to help things go well with us through his men. And um, some are spiritual fathers. Some are physical fathers. Some are both. Speaking of spiritual fathers, we got one in the house today, Chris Farrington from Nicaragua, our missionary in Nicaragua. Chris, stand up, Chris. You got lots of spiritual kids. Didn't see that coming, did you? No. But he has, you've been loved well through this church, and we're so proud of you today, Chris. God bless you, buddy. And then we got other fathers who are skilled in physical ways, and Ryan already mentioned to you, you know, we might, we might be able to benefit from some of your skills. So if you are willing and wanting to help our church family in some way that we may not even know about, then I want to give you a chance just to email me. There's my email, my personal email, BillWhiteChristJourney.org. Let me know what you think you might be able to serve with around here, and then we'll just talk, okay? Not a commitment, but it is a conversation. So I'd love to hear from you as we say, how has God gifted you to help things go well for his kids, your physical kids, our spiritual kids, so that all of the families of Christ's journey can experience the joy and the presence of his uh, spirit and his healing, which is where we've been going in this series. Our prayer today for everyone connecting is that you might have greater reason to sense the healing presence of God in your spirit, in your life, and then the peace of mind that comes from knowing him personally. As we turn, really, we're going to do the final circle on this, uh, this series, He Gets Us Focus. And you'll see what I mean in just a moment. Portia Nelson has authored what she calls autobiography in five short chapters. Maybe you can relate. Chapter one, she says, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I feel lost. I am hopeless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street There's a deep hole in the sidewalk, and I pretend I don't see it, but I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it's not my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in it, in the sidewalk, and I see it's there, and I still fall in. It's a habit. It's a habit. 
My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk, and I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down another street. I walk down another street. Now, I want to say, what a great story. Except that when you're living it, it doesn't feel so great, does it? I mean, what I mean is, you don't even realize what you're doing. Sometimes when you're living it, you don't even realize that this is your street. You're already on it. We're talking about your hole right now. This, and this becomes life's continuing quest to uh, become aware of our personal and our individual needs, our fallings and our failings, and then openly acknowledge accountability. Own it for being there. Because should I, should I go right for it? Here it is. We're in some of the holes we're in because of our own choices. When we start to see that and we start to own that, then we can begin to take action to shift the trajectory of our lives. We can seek help. We can get help. We can walk around those holes. And we can eventually walk down a whole new street. And you know what I'm talking about there. That's what it's like to follow Christ, is walk down a whole new street. And um, it's atheist C.S. Lewis said that for him, coming to Christ was like waking up from a long, long dream. It was like he'd been asleep. Uh, he looked back on his life. He said, I just didn't see things clearly. And then I started waking up from this dream. Did you know when Jesus healed a man of being blind in the Gospel of Mark. It's around chapter 8, verse 24. The guy first said this, I see men like trees walking. They just look like these huge trunks that were moving around. And so it took another touch from Jesus for the eyes to be more open. Coming clear focus was a process. That's what the point is. And so also for us, our spiritual autobiographies, our Christ journeys, that's what we call them, is a process of stepping out of the holes where we fall into and then finding our way to the freedom that Christ brings and the whole new peace of mind. It's like a whole new street. This is really what we discover the meaning of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he or she becomes a brand new person on the inside and the old is gone and the new has come. Or King James says, behold, all things are becoming new. I love that verse. That's the hope that we're talking about today. That's the hope that Jesus Gives. This is the hope that Jesus gave to the woman in John chapter 8. You're familiar with her story. You'll remember it as I tell it. In a world that is ripe with double standards, especially when it came between men and women, this is a used woman. When we meet her, you, you see that. She's caught in the act of adultery. 
And now she's been brought to Jesus to be judged, to be stoned, and they are locked and loaded, ready to go. And that indiscretion was considered not only socially deplorable, but personally despicable. But one of the main reasons was, perhaps not what you're thinking, it was because it was considered a violation of a man's property. Which might explain why the guy wasn't even there. You know, it didn't have much to do with the woman. In the story, she's pretty much a pawn. Where's the guy? I mean, if she was caught in the act, then where's the guilty man who also broke the command of God? I mean, this, doesn't this tango take two? Yes, it does. Well, why is he not there? Well, the men who brought her were actually using her again. She was a used woman. Only this time, it was as bait in a trap that was set to catch Jesus. It's a familiar story. But now with 10 words, 10 words, Jesus like levels the hypocrisy and then invites every person listening into a moment of self-awareness. Think about this. Here's what he says, verse seven. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. What's he asking them to do? A searching, fearless moral inventory. Just stop, hold up, and take a look at yourself. Look in the mirror, and then see where you are. And then if you still must judge, then make your judgment from there. That's what he says, right? And of course, none of them press charges. None of them execute sentence. Only God is truly without sin. Only God has all the facts. Only God reserves the right to judge, and, but then something radical happens. Jesus steps into the God role, which you may expect him to do because of all that you know about it, but in that day, at that time, in this situation, Jesus steps into the God role and he makes his judgment. He forgives. He takes God's role and forgives. He says to the woman, verse 10, where are your accusers? Does no one accuse you? And we don't know if she looked up or if she was still in the dirt, but she says, no one, sir. And he says, then neither do I. Can you imagine how those words felt? I mean, the very first time they were ever spoken, the very first time they were ever heard, how did they land? Caught in the act, ruthlessly exposed, public humiliation, shame all over the place, thrown at Jesus' feet like a piece of meat with salivating wolves just ready. I mean, her life is dangling. She is in the balance and could have died, and Jesus saves her. Jesus saves her. He places himself between the accusation of the law and the execution of the sentence. And that's how he saves us too. Did you know that? The accusation of the law says you are guilty. The sentence says the wages of sin is death, and Jesus places himself right in the middle and is able to offer no condemnation because he's taking it on himself. The one who was without sin also was without a stone in the story. And instead, he offers forgiveness and freedom. Now, what we've learned in this series is that forgiveness is never simply being excused. 
more gravitas, more substance. It's serious. It's deadly. We, we don't always believe that, but it doesn't really do anybody any good to pretend that it's not true. I mean, following a broken moral compass is what got us into these holes we're in anyway. That's how the story begins. And making mistaken, sinful choices is how we fell into those holes that we deny that we're in. It's not my fault. Blame somebody else for it. Well, this woman, should I say this? I mean, this woman was in the mess that she was in that day, some measure, because of her own choices. Is that right? You know it is. And freedom, here's what, what's Jesus thinking? I, I wonder if he's thinking, well, if I ever want to get true freedom to this woman, then I'm going to have to help her see that there are choices she made that also put her in this predicament. And so Jesus says that she's got to own these. And so before he lets her go in the conversation, what does she say? Make different choices. Go and sin no more. Leave your life of sin. In other words, this isn't just a mere slap on the hand from Jesus. Get out of jail free card. He, uh, it wasn't one of those empty parental chides. Now, don't ever do that again, honey. No. These words come with the power of God, the promise of God's empowerment to live a, on a different street. I mean, so she doesn't ever have to fall into that hole again. How many times has that been in her path? No, not anymore. Your future is going to be different from your path. Go and be free of the past mistakes of your life. You choose to go down a whole new street, out of the hole, back on your feet, walking with the Lord down a whole new street. That sounds like the words of a song somebody should write. Maybe George should work on a song about that, about that wonderful place called the land of beginning again where all of our heartaches and all of our foolish mistakes can be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door, the poet says, and never put on again. That's what Jesus is talking about here. But such a walk to such a place takes steps of continual assessment, continual reflection, continual awareness of where we are, of where the hole is, of what street I'm on, of what choices I'm making. It's like continual choosing of the new behavior and the new street, continuing the quest, the new behavior, the new way of living as we face the hurts, the hangups, and the heartaches of the hardships of our life. I mean, for this woman, you know what Jesus is saying? Now, you got to pay attention to yourself. you got to watch what you're doing you got to think through, monitor your own decisions and your own deeds. You're going to need to pay attention to yourself and have a constant inventory of your attitudes and your actions. you got to stop blaming others. you got to stop playing the victim. you got to stop blaming circumstance, stop blaming fate or age or men or whatever it is. He says, you know, you've got some choices to make here. Leave your life. Choose to live your life in a different way. Stop denying your problems and continue to face yourself in constant accountability. Now, step 10 in the 12-step recovery program says it like this. Continue to take personal inventory. I just keep on doing this and then promptly admit it when I'm wrong. Not if, but when. 
So the process of moral inventory, can I bring up the steps now? <coughs> Excuse me. The process of moral inventory, step four and step 10, of admission, telling the truth to myself, step one and step five, of contrition and surrender, turning away and turning to God, um, of, that's three, six, and eight, of confession, that's step two and seven, of restitution and amends, we still just came out of that. that those are continuing process of moral self-inventory that's ongoing. And so you want to know the truth? It's lifelong. This is not just a one and done kind of thing. This is learning how to live in humility with myself about where I have been part of my own problem. So it's not simply a once in a while thing. It's a perpetual process for those who want personal spiritual freedom and ongoing peace of mind. Mental health is what we've been, this is life's continuing quest. So we keep on taking these steps as our life journey. <clears throat> Did you know, I read somewhere that the Golden Gate Bridge, the people who paint the Golden Gate Bridge never stop. I mean, their job is never done. Every day. I mean, they just finished that end. Now they, you know, it's like, yeah, it needs daily refreshing. And that reminds me that people who journey with Jesus into authentic spiritual freedom and who desire peace of mind to be regular in their lives, never stop taking personal inventory, promptly admitting it when they're wrong so that they can stay in the right. No more denial. Face the truth, speak the truth, do the truth, live the truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth, and he wants to bring his grace into that truth so that we can keep living in peace of mind. This is like breathing, you know? Inhale, exhale, Repeat. You want to keep, keep living? Keep doing that. That's how it is spiritually. You want to keep your spirit alive, enlivened? Then keep on doing that. The job is never done. And then he gets us. Our takeaway on this, we're saying it this way. Jesus is in it for the long haul. I mean, he's going the distance. He's going all the way. So I'm going to stay honest with myself every day, daily. Jesus gets me. And that's why his part in this is to go the full distance. He's in it for the long haul. And my part in it is daily. Daily bread, daily cross. Ash chapter 17 verse 11 says that the believers search the scriptures daily. And so that's part of my daily routine. You know, I'm going to walk in the light by faith, step by step by step, every day. And that's how the journey continues. This is the quest in the Christian life, daily. So Paul, the apostle, in his so personal letter to Philippians, one of my favorite letters in the New Testament, maybe it's yours too. But here's what he said. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put that into practice. You know, that sounds like a spiritual dad, doesn't it? Here, just watch how I do it. Now listen to what I say, and then look at how this happens. And it's like Paul saying, you know, I'm a spiritual father here. I want to show you how to do this in your life. So just watch me, listen to me, and then say what I say, do what I do, and then what's going to happen? The God of peace. Isn't peace what you're looking for? Peace of mind? Out of the hole? whole new street. He said, here's the way you get there. 
You follow a spiritual mentor and you daily learn how to do it by somebody else walking with you. And then he writes this, chapter three. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on. I press on for that perfection for which Christ Jesus has possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to, the, to reach to the end of the race and reach the heavenly prize for which God in Christ Jesus is calling us. And then he kind of gives this bottom line. He said, and oh, let everybody who's spiritually mature agree on this. See, we disagree on so many things, don't we? But he's saying, here's one. Here's one that the grown-ups in the room, spiritual grown-ups, here's one that you got to agree on. If you're mature, agree on this. Daily steps in community toward God's outcome designed for your life. Even the great apostle says, we're all in a process. We're all on the journey. And the journey is to wholeness, to freedom, to peace of mind in Christ. This is life's continuing quest. The mastery of self. Sir Edmund Hillary, the famous uh, climber, climbed the summit of Mount Everest with his Sherpa companion. Once he said this, it's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. This is that battle too. Writer of Proverbs says it like this, Solomon, it's better to have self-control than to conquer a city. What does it take to conquer a city? Military might? Political power? Rising to the highest office? What does wisdom say? You know what's better than that? You know what's the be better than all of that? It's self-control. Paul had been a Christian 30 years when he wrote those words to the Philippians. Three decades he'd been walking with Jesus. He's in his 60s now. And yet he says, you know, I haven't grown up yet. I'm still on the road, realizing my need, releasing my past, and reaching for God's goal. I think we could call those the three R's to spiritual growth, to health and freedom, to peace of mind, actually. What are they? Realize my need, release my past, and reach for God's goal. Those might be worth remembering. They might even be worth repeating. They might even help you in the hole you're in to find a whole new street and then live a whole different way. This is how it happens. Realize my need. Hey, it's not my fault. I'm not even in a hole. I don't know why you're trying to tell me this. You can't see straight. Release my past. Not blame somebody else. And then reach for God's goal. We never outgrow the need to grow. Is that true? We never outgrow the need to grow. Benjamin Franklin said one time, most men die at 25. They're just not buried till they're 75. Ouch. Now maybe, uh, maybe that doesn't apply to you. You know, no, I'm good. It's all good. But I'm thinking about Henry David Thoreau, who said that most men live lives of quiet desperation. They just don't talk to anybody about it. What, what happens is it kind of, dads, you know, I'm thinking about us now. I'm, I, I'm thinking about us. Life is hard. 
Life is challenging. Can we tell the truth? Hopes die in this world. Dreams die in this world. Souls die in this world. Your body keeps on living, and on the inside, something withered up and went away, and you don't know where it went or who to talk to about it, and you don't know, so you don't talk to anybody. We just isolate, and then we learn how to self-medicate because we want the pain to go away, and we don't want to deal with the futility of just doing the same thing again. Now, I may not be talking to you. Maybe this is, no, I'm all good. There's no hole in my life. Everything, I'm fine. Okay, then listen for a friend. Because somebody's living with this right now. And Jesus has got a better way. Life is hard. Hearts and homes get shattered. Entanglements come and wrap themselves around our feet. And we don't know where to to turn to. Life gets complicated. And so, what do you do? Now, I said at the beginning, dads, we're here to honor you. We thank God for our fathers If you're a dad, we want you to feel our honor and our respect and our appreciation and our gratitude, and I mean it from my heart, and yet at the same time, I feel the need to have to say, it's not easy being a father, and you dads know what I'm talking about, and at the same time, I got to say this, it's not easy having a father, and you kids and families know what I'm talking about, and yet this is part part of the reality, isn't it? In fact, if you find it easy to be a father or to have a father, you not, may not be experiencing all that that means. <laughs> you may already be in denial somewhere and don't even realize how blind you are. Nobody has to say amen. It's okay. <laughs> Your silence is loud. He gets us means that Jesus understands. He knows what we're going through. And he has come into it and wants to be there for us every day along the way so we can experience the strength and love of God that leads to freedom and peace of mind. Whatever our personal experience with fathering has been, on whatever end of that you have been, some of us have taken some pretty big hits in life. Some have experienced tremendous financial hits recently. Others, career hits recently. I mean, earth-shaking. Some of us have felt the uh, challenge in our physical health. Others have lost precious loved ones. The father space at the table today is empty, and we are feeling the absence. Men, please hear me in your heart when I say respect and love to you. You have been holding on. You have been fighting hard. You have been going the distance. You've been trying to figure it out. You've been trying to stick it out. And Jesus wants you to know he gets, God has not forgotten you. God has not forsaken you. God is here for you. He gets you, and he's got blessing for you, but it requires paying attention to where you are, who you are in your journey. Just as this story from Scott, one of our Christ Journey fathers who came to us through Somerset School, invites us into.
Okay, so I'm gonna share with you uh, my story. Uh, and it starts with my mom, who uh, when I was uh, a young boy, uh, affectionately would call me Scooter Magruder. And that's what, because I was a very hyper child and I used to uh, run around everywhere and I had what they would call ants in my pants. And uh, I was hyper both in my body and I was hyper in my mind. And I was always, you know, thinking about the future and I was either in fantasy or I was in fear. And, um, and that's just the way my mind worked. And that pattern continued into my teenage years and into my 20s and 30s and into my adult life. And uh, I was never really present because I was always thinking about the next thing I had to do, the next day, the future, or I was thinking about the past. Then externally, um, I say chemically, uh, I was also never present. And that was because I was always in what I call a slightly altered state. And uh, that would either be I was out entertaining, I was out drinking, I was out celebrating, and it was either the next day or it was during those times. And when I was young and in college, I made a decision to drink and uh, those decisions turned into patterns as I got older in my life. And, uh, you know, I was just always had a beer in my hand, always had a glass of wine, and that habit became a pattern. And eventually over time, that was how I coped, that was how I dealt with life, that was how I enjoyed life. But ultimately, uh, that stopped working for me. And I began to withdraw from life. Um, I, uh, I, I began to withdraw uh, in my marriage in my parenting, and uh, I got to a place that, uh, that is called uh, hopeless and incomprehensible demoralization. When I was drinking, you know, the alcohol brought me a lot of comfort and ease, and, but eventually that comfort and ease turned into powerlessness. And when I got into that place of what I call hopeless and incomprehensible demoralization, one of the byproducts of that was not being able to see what was happening to my life. Not being able to see that from the inside, you know, I was being ripped apart like wolves, you know, on a fresh kill. You know, that, um, that my family life, our home life, that my marriage um, could not withstand the impact and the effects of what I call Hurricane Scott like a thief comes in and steals your hopes and your dreams. You know, Shelly and I had hopes and dreams for our marriage and for our family, and I was not present. I was not aware that the thief had come in and stolen those. And, uh, you know, I was not the father, I was not the husband that was, should have been at the gate to fend off and stop that thief. But by the grace of God, because he's faithful, and because he provides a solution in recovery through doctors, through therapists, and then in his word through Jesus, the door to the solution, today I'm able to recognize, recognize the storms, recognize the wolves, and recognize the thieves, and stop them, and protect my wife, and protect my marriage, and protect my children and leave a different legacy in my life. When you're in it, you don't see it. 
my wife had mercy on me. My children had mercy on me. My family had mercy on me. So, you know, that's a very integral part of me being here today. They modeled the mercy that the Lord shows to me and to all of us, and, uh, and they trusted in God. You know, Shelly trusts in God, I trust in God, and then it goes like this. So I wanna make sure I share that because that is, uh, that's key. It's not all about me. It's about my wife, it's about my children. And it's about them trusting in God and trusting the process because recovery takes time and it takes a lot of sacrifice. I have a simple prayer. And I used to have very complicated prayers, but I have a simple prayer now. And that is, God, I trust you. Jesus, help me. And then I take the next step. So when that comes to fear in the future, I just give it to the Lord. When that comes to shame about my past, I just give it to the Lord. You know, getting back to uh, uh, Scooter Magruder and that young boy that could never take a nap. And, you know, I could never take a nap in my teens, in my 20s, 30s. But today, um, today, a good day for me, a good weekend for me is a nap on Saturday, coming to Christ's journey on Sunday morning and worshiping and serving and taking a nap on Sunday. And, and that gives me a lot of comfort and ease. I'm always available if people want to compare notes and, you know, hear more about my story. If I can be helpful or useful, I'm always available. I think I'm going to take a nap. Scott Pertigan, happy Father's Day. Shelly, Jake, thank you for sharing your story. You know what? Scott's story may not be your story, but I can tell you, everybody's got a story, and Jesus is already on your street. Jesus is already in your hole, and Jesus has a whole new way of life and peace for you right now. In fact, Jesus said this is why he came. Listen to him. Chapter 4, book of Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He gets us. He knows our heart's need. He knows our hurts. And he comes to bring healing and freedom and new peace of mind. So could I ask you, what does that mean for you? Now, I said there's two parts here. You know, the first part, what is Jesus' part? He said he's going to be here through it all. Jesus is in it for the long haul. He's going all the way. So he's in it to go the distance 
to bring the favor of God into every whole street, situation, issue, problem that you face. That's what he said. I'm here to see that the favor of God finds the oppressed, the blind, the captives. Then what's my part? My part is to tell the truth. I got, I need help. I'm in a hole. Some of it's my fault. I don't know how to get out. How, what can I do? Well, he said, I got to stay honest with myself. What did Scott say? Here's a prayer. God, I trust you. Jesus, help me. Then take your next step. What's your next step? Would you take it as we pray? You're tired of falling in holes? Happens to all of us. Tired of traveling the same old street every day? Happens to all of us. But Paul says there's something that could happen to you that doesn't happen to all of us, but it happens to those who stay honest before God. And he said, I realize my need, I release my past, and I reach for God's goal for me in Christ. Is this your prayer today? Lord, I realize my need, and I have come to a point where I'm ready and willing to release my past and once again reach for what you have for me in Christ. I do it right now, Lord. God, I trust you. Jesus, help me. And take that step of faith. Speaking of the step of faith, perhaps for you, this is your day to take it for the very first time, that today is the day of salvation for you. How can you experience Jesus personally? Well, through a prayer like this, bring your heart and say, Lord, help me. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your life and your peace of mind as I trust you. See, he was on the cross dying so that your sins could be forgiven, and he rose from the grave alive so that his spirit could come and live in you. You can welcome him right now. Lord Jesus, come into my life, be my Savior, as I turn from my way and go to your way. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, our heads are still bowed for just a moment, but if you would allow me to invite God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, could I invite you simply to raise your hand wherever you're seated, nobody's looking but me, and then let me offer a prayer for you. If you're joining us online, then please enter that in the chat. Let us pray for you and with you now. Amen. Thank you, sir. In the middle, down toward the front. Amen. To my left. I may not be able to see everybody, okay? Toward the back in the middle, God bless you. Amen. Thank you. On the aisle to my right, over to my far right, Lord Jesus, for these who by uplifted hand and those that I haven't seen who are saying my heart is open and I'm trusting you, we pray now that they would feel the peace that passes human understanding as you as their Savior come alive in their life. And we make this prayer in your name.